Hey, my name is Jason Byler. I'm the pastor of Life Change Church. Thank you so much for checking out our podcasts. I believe that if you'll listen to them, uh, that you will be blessed. Mark 4 tells us that the Word of God uh, planted down inside of our hearts uh, can bring forth a rich, beautiful, abundant harvest in our lives. This is my desire uh, for you. Uh, so as you listen to the Word, just receive it. Let it get down in your heart. Bring forth a harvest. Thank you so much again for listening. God bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, happy Pentecost Sunday. This is, uh, has become one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Uh, Pentecost uh, Sunday is uh, the, the seventh Sunday after Easter or, or 50 days uh, after Easter and 10 days after uh, the Ascension. Uh, it, is a, it is a very important day, very important Sunday because it is the birth uh, of the church. And uh, one of the reasons I love it and think that we really need on Pentecost Sunday to focus in uh, and, uh, and, and, and remember uh, what happened, what has uh, taken place. So this year we've done two weeks on that, remembering Pentecost. And, and last Sunday, uh, as we remembered Pentecost, um, we remembered uh, this very important part about it, that, uh, that uh, we, the church, are messengers of the message of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And not only that, but we're called as the church to carry the message of Christ to the world as a church. Thankfully, it's not just me. <laughs> as a church together, we're called to carry the message to the world, um, which would be completely overwhelming and totally impossible without the day of Pentecost, without the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us, without, without being clothed with power from on high, we would not be able to, to be messengers of the message of Christ to the world. But because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it is no longer impossible it is completely possible to take the message of Christ to the world. Last Sunday we, we remembered that and certainly want to remember that again today because it just connects with, with the, the one thing that I want to focus on you know, this morning. And as we, as we ended last Sunday by uh, sharing communion, uh, today again I'd like to bring the children in at the end of service and share communion uh, together. Um, but before we do, let's remember uh, Pentecost and, uh, and, and we'll discover uh, very quickly that there's this one area that I want us to highlight today that is, that is so incredibly important uh, to the health of the church uh, and to the purpose of the church. And I, I want to share it with you so that you can see it as we, as we move through uh, Scripture. Uh, but, I, but I don't want you to check out on me. So you got to promise uh, that you won't check out on me uh, because I, I think some people think this is boring, but it's not. It's, it's all through Scripture. It, it, it's, it's one of Jesus' clearest prayers. It, it's at the heart of the plan and purpose of God uh, and at 
at the heart of what we need as the people of God. What I want us to remember as we remember Pentecost today uh, is, is that the first church was your united church. The first church was a together church. Uh, so what, what we see today and remember today is, is togetherness and the importance of togetherness. And I, I know that you know this. I know that you know unity is important and that togetherness is important. But, but remember, right, I didn't say we were you know, bringing some new revelation. We're just remembering how important this is and that this happened in the first church, in the early church. And, uh, and, and as I said last Sunday about being the message and the messengers, togetherness and unity in the home and, and in the church without the help of the Holy Spirit is impossible. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, it is completely possible that we can be united, that we can come together. Uh, so I, I'm always so interested and, and, and excited about uh, unity and, and togetherness and the, and the power of the Holy Spirit because it, it brings together two things. Uh, the, the, the two things that I see in Scripture come together. The two things that make impossible things possible those two things come together. One is found in Matthew 19 where Jesus says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So that we know that, we know that with the help of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden all things become possible. The other thing in Scripture is found all the way back in Genesis where they're building the Tower of Babel, or Babel, however you'd like to say it. And, uh, and they're united and together with a, with a not God purpose, and God comes down and speaks and says, "Hey, we got to divide them. We got to split them up, because if they're together and united, they'll accomplish anything they want to accomplish." So there's so there is a power in togetherness and unity to do what can't be done, to do the impossible, and with God we can do the impossible. So if we are together, united, and full of the power of the Holy Spirit then I believe that all things become possible, even taking the gospel of Jesus' name to the uttermost parts of the world. So, so let's remember uh, the events uh, that, that unfold and, and, and how the day of Pentecost uh, comes about. And, and as we look, we'll see, we'll see togetherness, and then we'll also uh, look for some help uh, for that and then end in communion. You, you remember in Acts chapter 1, uh, Acts is written uh, by Dr. Luke, uh, an, an amazing uh, uh, theologian uh, and investigator who was able to pull together uh, witnesses and, and truth and, and then write them out in an orderly fashion so that we could, so that we could see and understand and believe. He writes uh, Acts uh, and, the, and the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and, and Acts, he begins by uh, reminding us that Jesus has suffered, that he's died, that he has risen again uh, from the dead, uh, that he has shown himself. 
and, and given many convincing proofs to the apostles and to the disciples that he is alive, that he has risen. You know, I, I, I like to listen to, to people talk um, who don't really believe in Jesus and are debating and stuff like that, you know, the existence of God and the Bible, and, and, and there's all kinds of that you can find uh, these days. And, uh, and it just kind of blows my mind because I really don't think that they've put effort or time or energy into researching the resurrection of Jesus. Because if you do, you will be overwhelmed with evidence that he has risen from the dead. It's not just a faith thing. There is, there is for real evidence of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if he has risen from the dead, then he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. He is the Christ, uh, the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God. Our hope, our peace, our only salvation, the only worthy Lamb of God. And he has risen from the dead. So, so be uh, convinced of this. Be sure of this. Be certain of this. There's no reason at all to doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, always a good thing to, always a good thing to preach and to proclaim and to and to add into any message. And then, uh, after Jesus has has proven this by meeting with them, letting him letting them touch his side, uh, by eating with them, walking with them, uh, talking with them, they are they gather together and they and they talk about the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you like to be in on those conversations? Like I, I would have liked to, uh, I would have liked to walk with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. That would have been a walk right there. And then I would have liked to been in those meetings on the forty days after his resurrection and to hear him talk more about the kingdom of God. I, I don't know if he went deeper than than we get in the Gospels, and I don't know what he did, but but man. It would have been great to be a part of those conversations. But we do know one part of it is that he, he said to his disciples, they said, they said are, are, are you going to, he said to his disciples, I want you to go and wait for power from on high. And they said, are you going to now, you know, restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said, he said, those dates and times are not for you to worry about. Here's what you're to do. You are to receive power from on high and be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then... He ascended into heaven right there as they, as they watched. And then they did an amazing thing that the church should really wrap their mind around these days. They did what Jesus said. And they went to Jerusalem and waited for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as they were waiting, it says that they continually gathered together in prayer. So before we, that's Acts chapter 1, before we get to Acts chapter 2, we see already an understanding and a revelation of the importance and power of togetherness, of unity, of being in one place at one time, in, in one spirit and in one purpose. They were together and they were praying. Maybe they remembered, you know, that Jesus would often do this with them. That they'd gather together and they'd pray. 
Maybe they remembered his, his message in Matthew 18 where he said, hey, hey, if two or three of you gather, there I am with you. Or if two of you will agree on anything, I'm going to come and do it. And they said, you know what, as we were waiting, maybe we should gather together and we should pray. And as they're gathered together and, and praying uh, for, for ten days, they come to the day of Pentecost, Acts uh, chapter 2. And I want to I read Acts chapter 2, uh, one, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Amen? I don't know if that has anything to do with anything, but it seems like it does, doesn't it? They were all together, and they were in one place. There, there wasn't all kinds of bickering and, and fighting and, and, and division. They were together, and they were in one place. They, they had pulled this off for 10 days. It's like some kind of record, isn't it? Like 120 people meeting together and, and staying together for 10 days, suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, every one of them, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Uh, 120 in, 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 in the room. Um, we know that from Acts chapter 1 or so. And, and we've got men and women. Uh, Jesus' mother Mary is, is mentioned in this group. And I, I don't know, but it seems to me like they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, isn't that what it says? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So, so we see here a, a powerful truth revealed about the filling of the Holy Spirit is that it gives, the Holy Spirit gives us, the Holy Spirit enables us, empowers us to do what we couldn't do before. The Holy Spirit enables them here to speak in other tongues. And then as the story continues, we're, we're told that because, of the, because it's the day of Pentecost, that there are, there are people from all around the world gathered in Jerusalem who speak all kinds of different languages, and they hear the first church proclaiming to them the, the wonders and the mysteries of God in their own tongue, in their, in their own language. So, so you got Peter and, and James and John and Matthew and, and you know, Bartholomew and James the son of Alphaeus and, and, uh, and, and James the son of Judas and, and, and Simon the Zealot. And you've got all these guys and you've got the women that are there and Mary that's there. And they, they are speaking in a tongue of one of the nations that has gathered there and revealing to them 
the mysteries of God. But, but it's not just one of the nations. All of them are hearing their language spoken and are hearing the mysteries of God proclaimed to them in their language. God, God right here does something unexpected. He does it suddenly. He does it, he does it in a way that, that, that the disciples and apostles and the first church hadn't planned. You know, it was this, this, in, this event is really impossible. I mean, maybe it was possible if Jesus had laid out the details, like when he first gathered the group three years ago, had laid out the details and had gotten them all, uh, what is it, Rosetta Stone? You know, and had them begin to learn the different languages that were going to show up there. Even then it would have been an incredible miracle, but they didn't prepare for this. They didn't plan this. When Jesus ascended on high, Peter didn't gather everybody together and say, you know what, here's the plan, guys. We're going to birth a church on the day of Pentecost. We've got 10 days. There's going to be people from all over the world gathered. We've got 10 days to learn languages. All right? All right, you five, you learn this language. You five, you learn this language. You five, you learn this language. And when they show up, we're going to proclaim the mysteries of God in all of their other languages. That was not their plan. This is God's plan, and he didn't even share it with them. He just suddenly led them with it. He just surprised them with it. He just, he just said, you wait, stay together, pray, and wait. I'm going to do it. And, and together, waiting, all of a sudden, God does a miracle, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the mysteries and wonders of God to all the people that have gathered from all over the world as the Spirit enabled them. So, so, so we look and we, and, and, we, and we recognize the call of God on our lives, right? To be messengers and to carry the message. And we recognize that it's going to take unity and togetherness. And then we recognize that we are not able. We're not able to do this. But that is okay. Right? It's okay because here we see that the Spirit enables us to do what we can't do. The Spirit enables us to do what we didn't even know we had to do. They didn't even know they were going to have to speak in other tongues to the nations and proclaim the mysteries of God. They weren't even prepared, weren't even ready, but the Spirit did it anyway. Hallelujah. The Spirit enables us to be messengers. And here's the truth. It should encourage us that the Spirit enables us and gives us power to be together and not destroy one another. To be together and not fight. To be together and not devour. That's why marriage in Christ for the Holy Spirit is a beautiful and wonderful thing because the Spirit enables me to be together with my wife and the Spirit enables her and, and, and Lord knows that she needs the help of the Holy Spirit to be together with annoying old me. Man, I can be a pain sometimes. Like, I'll do some stuff, and I'll go look in the mirror, and I'll be like, I would leave me. I, I like, like, I want to leave my own self right now, you know? What in the world is wrong with me? But the Holy Spirit enables us to unite and to come together. And when we're united and together, the impossible becomes possible. The blessing of the Lord is poured out upon us. His favor, His protection, His, His power, His life is brought, and Christ 
is revealed and proclaimed in us. The, the world, the lost, they look, they see the church together, and they say, oh, Jesus. That's Jesus right there. All, that's all that they see. They see Jesus. And He's proclaimed by our love for one another. You say, yeah, but that's not possible. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We're not able, but the Spirit enables us so that we can unite and be together. And when we're together, we answer His prayer and we proclaim His name and we find abundant life in those beautiful relationships that we have with one another. Let me, let me read for you again how this chapter ends. Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42. Peter, Peter stands and preaches under the power of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people are added to the church. Now, now we've gone from 120 to 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Now we know there's going to be some trouble, right? Going to be some, there's going to be some conflict right now. You know, my dad used to always say, he said, if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. You know, they got the perfect little church right here, 120 uh, people, and now 3,000 of it have joined it. And it's going to get messed up. Did you get it? You know why you shouldn't join it? Because you're not perfect. Everybody's like, he's like, I'm not perfect? Yeah, Yeah, you're not. You're, You're a mess, but the Spirit enables you so that you can be a uniter and, and one who brings togetherness and not a divider. Verse 42 says, this is, this is the description of the first church. Oh my Lord, it's so beautiful. It is a beautiful, beautiful church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Where is the devotion? In today's church, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. This is, this is nothing but the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know what you know what may be the most effective evangelistic strategy that the church could embrace that that would that would lead to the Lord adding to our number daily those being saved would just be us being together enjoying one another's favor meeting together on Sundays and and enjoying it meeting together in one another's homes and enjoying it enjoying the favor of all the people and us together united devoted serving one another in love 
would, would lead to, to us being a church that is set, a, a city setting on a hill, shining the light of Christ, and the Lord would add to our number daily those who were being saved. As we remember the day of Pentecost, I don't know how we can get past remembering that it was, that it was a time where the church was united, a time where the church was together, a time where the church was enjoying not only wonderful relationship with the Lord, but wonderful relationship with one another. And it was a time where because of this, the church was shining the light of Christ and people's lives were being changed and transformed. They were being saved because they were united. They were together. Now, I think there's, a, there's some real help and, and some more reinforcement to this idea and, 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 and not, not only reinforcement for togetherness, but reinforcement that we need the Holy Spirit's help to be together. Uh, found in the, in the wonderful chapter uh, with the fruits of the Spirit in it, uh, Galatians 5. And I just want to read uh, through this chapter Galatians 5, and, and, and here in this chapter, uh, there, there's, a, there's a verse that really speaks to us of, of how we should live and, and what we should look like, and I want to highlight that, and then uh, I want us to uh, hear again the fruits of the Spirit uh, that are completely impossible for us, that we are not able to have or to live in, but remember that the Holy Spirit enables us to do what we could not do. Let's look at Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. As we read through the Scriptures, just let the, the Word of God speak to you and the Holy Spirit uh, speak to you. And there, There's a whole lot here. We don't have tons of time, so I may just move over some of it uh, quickly. At verse 1 it says, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Uh, stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We are, that we are free in Christ, and, and we will not let anything take our freedom from us. And then Paul moves in here to talking about one of the things that was so uh, affecting people's freedom. And not only that, but, but it was one of the main things that was causing division and, and stirring up trouble in the church so that there wasn't togetherness and unity like it needed to be. It, it was one of the main things then. It remains one of the main things now. He says this in, in verse 2, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you uh, at all. Now, it seems like a weird thing for him to say uh, right here, but what he's doing is he's speaking to one of the main uh, troubles in the church at that day, and that was, and that was a group called the Judaizers uh, who were preaching false doctrine and preaching that there were other things that you had to do to be saved, that you had to be circumcised, that you had to, to fulfill every dot and, and cross every T when it came to the law. And they were, they were, a, they were bringing this into the church and, uh, and Paul standing against it because, because it was bringing uh, division uh, to the church and robbing people of, of their freedom. And, and still today, one of, the, one of the things, maybe more than anything else, uh, that divides 
the people of God is, is false doctrine. It, it's believing things that are not true. You know, so, so you need to, you need to, uh, to really, if, if you're going to be a uniter and be together, you need to really work you, you know, you, to hear what Paul said to Timothy, to watch over your life and your doctrine closely. You've got to make sure that what you're standing on and embracing and that you believe is true. There are many in the church who, do, who believe things and will go to war over them that, that, that aren't even found in Scripture, that aren't even based on the Word of God. So Paul Paul, would, he wouldn't mess around, man. More than anything else, he would passionately address this, and you're going to see how passionate he is about it here in just a minute. It's kind of an uncomfortable, hard thing to read, but we'll do it. Because he's so passionate about freedom and about unity and about togetherness. One of the things that, that, that is so hard to overcome when it comes to unity and, to, and togetherness is when we believe differing things and we're passionate about it. That, that, that is at the heart of the division in our country right now. There's, there's passionate beliefs, many of them, that divide. <clears throat> you know, like, you can't unite because we completely disagree on, on these things. So, you know, false doctrine... Uh, wrong beliefs will come and divide uh, like, like nothing else. This is why the Holy Spirit is so needed and so helpful you know, because the Holy Spirit is our counselor and our teacher. And if we will allow the Holy Spirit along with the Holy Scriptures uh, to teach us and lead us, then, then we will not be deceived and led astray by, by all kinds of, of, uh, of false doctrine. You, you know why Paul's against this, right? It, because... Because it's not uh, because of circumcision that we're saved. It's Christ and Christ alone that we, that we find salvation. Verse 3. Again, I declare uh, to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified by the law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. And he just hard on it because it's, it's so destructive and binding and divisive. We are, we are justified uh, in Christ and in Christ alone. Uh, for through the Spirit, see here, brings the Holy Spirit into this. So it's the help of the Holy Spirit. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await a faith, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Isn't that a powerful statement right there? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, if, if we were to turn to James chapter 2, we'll, we'll not do it right now, but if we were to, uh, you, you could read James chapter 2 and you would remember that James in that, in that chapter calls out those who want to claim that, that they have faith but they don't have, but there's not any 
but their faith doesn't lead them to any works. And he says, you know, faith without works is, is dead. And, and this kind of brings some understanding to what James is saying, that when our faith is in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that what happens is, is we express it through love. That, the, the, that it changes us and shifts us and transforms us so that we work to build one another up. So that we work to encourage one another and strengthen one another. So that we work to serve one another in love. So that we embrace Jesus' teaching of down on our knees, washing one another's feet, doing all that we can to guard, to protect, to encourage, to lift each other's up, to, to do whatever we can do to help one another become mature in Christ Jesus. Our faith in Christ it moves us to where we express it by loving one another. That's why James says, if this isn't happening, I'm not buying your faith. If there's, if there's, if there's no work of loving, then do you really have faith? James says, I don't know, man, I'm not sure, I'm not really buying it. But, but when we have faith in Jesus, it is evidenced by us expressing it to one another through love. We love one another and not just in word, but also in deed. We don't just say, hey, love you, and then never do anything. Or, hey, love you, and then we're unfaithful. We love and we show it. It's expressed uh, through, our, through our works. So it's faith expressing itself through love. So now he continues. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Interesting, isn't it? There, the, it's, this, it's this reminder that the enemy knows the power of unity, and he knows the power of togetherness, and he's going to... And he's gonna influence and infiltrate and deceive any way that he can to, to bring whatever he can to divide so that there's not unity, so that there's not togetherness. So there are things that come that don't come from the one who calls you. you got to be able to identify them. A little yeast works its way through the whole batch. Everybody you know, understands that. Uh, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Like probably important right there, if, if, if you think yourself to be, to be informed, if you think yourself to be a, a teacher, if you, if you try to wield your influence, that you should remember that those who teach and, and who preach and who prophesy and who, and who influence, that those are, are held to a, to a higher standard and, uh, and will pay the penalty if they, if they lead others astray. What do we got? Verse 11? Verse 10. Brothers and sisters, I am still, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, see, see how this is how tough he gets with them. <laughs> I wish that they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Paul's serious about this, serious about unity. Verse 13. 
You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh uh, or the sinful nature. Here it is. Rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is, is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Serve one another in love. And, and, and right here again, you may be thinking, I'm not able to do that. I'm not able to do that. But you remember Acts chapter 2, verse 4. That they did what they were not able to do. The Spirit enabled them to do it. The Spirit enabled them and, and He enables us to serve one another humbly in love and enables us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Verse 15, if you, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's saying if, 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 you, don't, if you don't, then you know, you're just going to devour each other and tear each other apart. And, uh, and, and in the sinful nature and in the flesh, this is what happens. And we recognize that. And that's why we're, we're like, I don't know what in the world we're going to do. But we see here that if we will allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us and enable us that we can walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh or, or the sinful nature. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other uh, so that you are not uh, to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. So the sinful nature and the flesh and the Holy Spirit are not in agreement. There's not unity there, there's conflict. There's not togetherness there, there's, there's division. So, so what we are to do is to, is to crucify the flesh and the sinful nature and live according to the Spirit, led by the Spirit, taught by the Spirit, full of the Spirit, because the Spirit is going to lead us to do things that unite and to bring us together and to serve one another with love and build each other up. And if we live by the Spirit, then there's no, we're not under law because there's no law needed. Verse 19, these are the acts of the flesh uh, or, the, or the sinful nature. The acts of the sinful nature of the flesh are obvious. Uh, and maybe you can just think about the world that we live in as we read these. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. Uh, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, you see grace is, is maybe a good place to say. Grace doesn't give us a license to envy and to hate and to, and to be immoral. 
Grace transforms us so that we don't live according to the flesh and sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Because anyone who, anyone who lives like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Contrary to popular belief, if you live like that, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and when you live like that, you divide, you destroy, you, you hurt, and you, and you wound, and you don't bring unity or togetherness. <clears throat> I mean, just think about that. Do you want friends like that? Like, is that the, is that the group that you want to be connected with? Like, man, I wish all my friends would, were, would envy, you know, and, and were full of hatred. That's just so great. Um. You don't want friends like that because you know that they destroy. Then verse 22. But, but the fruit of the Spirit, this is, this is the fruit of being clothed with power from on high. This is the fruit of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or, or, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Why? Why? Because you don't need it, right? There's no law needed for love or, or joy or peace or, or patience or self-control, right? We don't, need to, we don't need to slap boundaries on gentleness, right? You're like, man, that person's way too gentle. We got we to gotta make a law. We got to pass a law. Got to confine their peace, right? They're, this you know, that group, they're so loving, we got to pass a law, we got to box that in, we got to lock it down, we got to put a speed limit on love. No, it's not needed. Why is it not needed? Why, why do we put a speed limit? We got to slow people down so they don't kill one another. Because when everybody's driving 100 miles an hour, they crash and they wreck and they hurt people. That's what the law is for. To protect us from hurting one another, devouring one another, from destroying one another. That's why there's law. That's, that's why there's a law that says you can't go over to your neighbor's house and take their grill. Or punch them in the face. You can't do that. Why? Because it damages them. It hurts them. So you've got to pass a law because in our sinful fleshly nature, we envy the grill <clears throat> I saw that grill over there. I think it, I think it, yeah, just return it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, we, and so we, we do things that would devour and hurt one another. And so law is necessary then. But if we're living by the Spirit and there's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things, there's no law needed because they don't wound, hurt, or destroy. They build up encourage and unite you know nobody's going to call the police on you for these things it's not going to happen if, if you're doing the others yes it will happen but if you're living this way no need for law like if we wanted to if we wanted to get rid of the police in our country all we got to do is everybody live by the fruit of the spirit and we don't need them anymore no offense mr ed there'll be something for you to do could build cabinets or something. Yes. Live by the Holy Spirit. There's no need 
for law because there's no destruction. There's only togetherness and unity. And this is, and this is how it ends. Telling us that, that the church, we who are in Christ, this is who we are. This is how we live. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh or the sinful nature. It's not alive and just licensed to be sinful. It's dead and gone, crucified over. We've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So he kind of ends that chapter by telling us we're to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. He just like tacks it on there again at the end. To live by the Spirit and to not live by the flesh. And now, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, living by the fruits of the Spirit, we now see that togetherness and unity can be possible. So what I'd like to do to end is to share communion together. And, and, and in sharing communion together, remember that we are crucified with Christ and we no longer live. That Christ lives within us and the life we live, we live by faith in the Son of God. We live full of the Holy Spirit. So the guys are going to pass out the communion again this morning. Elizabeth and Joy are running to get the kids so that they can come in with us and share communion together with us. And as we share communion together this morning, we just want to ask the Holy Spirit to just meet with us and speak to us and fill us fresh and new. So, as we are receiving the elements and as the kids are coming in, I just encourage you to, to be in an atmosphere of worship and just to begin to pray and offer yourself up to the, to the moving and work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Mr. Jimmy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, as we, on this Pentecost Sunday, remember, remember that wonderful day where the church was birthed. We remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the power of of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives to enable us to, to not only proclaim the message of Christ, but to do it together. As we remember this, Lord, we pray that, that not only would we remember, but that you would refresh us by, by coming and meeting with us right now, by filling us fresh and new with the Holy Spirit.
by bringing any any area of rebuke into our lives that we may need. If there's any area of unbelief or any area of, of sin, any area where we need shifting and, and change, Lord, we pray that you would, we open ourselves up, Holy Spirit, and pray, speak. Speak to us and help us to be a people that, that when we know we've got to change, we repent and we change. Bring change and transformation to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Jesus' mighty name. Prepare us to receive communion together. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Prepare us as we receive communion to hear from you, to be open to your instruction, to be open to your move. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. As we are receiving communion in this morning, again, I would just give the invitation to anyone who would like to, to come up to the altar and just share communion at the altar. Uh, you don't have to, but you're certainly welcome to, if you would like, to come to the altar and receive communion together at the altar. In 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul, Paul reminds us that, that when Jesus taught this, that He said to do this in remembrance of Him. And so as we, as we remember Jesus this morning and we remember the day of Pentecost, we also know that that as Jesus taught this, it was, it was to remember the covenant. And uh, as we remember the bread and as we remember the wine and we partake of, of, of the juice and, and we remember the blood of Jesus and the new covenant, I, I would encourage you, this, is, this would be my hope, that as we partake of this, that it would be a entering into covenant with Jesus, but also with one another. And that we would covenant to love one another and to serve one another and to be people who, who are uniters and who have a passion to bring togetherness to the church. That we would covenant to, to live by the fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So as we share communion, if the Holy Spirit would lead you, and if you would respond, let it be a time of making a covenant that, is, that as far as it depends on you, you are going to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and, and you're going to show it by serving them and encouraging them and building them up. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, 23, he says, For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, isn't that interesting? It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that Jesus led His disciples in, in communion that Jesus 
reminded them of of His blood shed for forgiveness of sins and and that even though there might be division and betrayal, that because of the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, that there could also be togetherness and unity. On the night He was betrayed, took the bread. Let's take the bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we we share the bread together today, let's remember and covenant. Let's remember Jesus being willing to have His body broken so that we could be united, loving, loving us so that He was willing for His body to be beaten and broken. Let's remember that and remember His example and let's covenant that we will not love ourselves so much that we will not be willing to lay down ourselves for one another, to be wounded and, and broken and suffer for for the encouragement and, and building up and serving of one another. Let's, let's lay down pride and covenant to humbly serve one another in love, even if it means some, some wounds and some hurt and some brokenness. Let's be willing to open ourselves up and be vulnerable. Even though we know we could get hurt in the process, we are, we are okay with that if it means that others will be saved and, and changed and encouraged and built up. As we share the bread together, let's remember Jesus and, and His example and covenant, covenant with Him and with one another to do the same. Let's share together. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved me so much, that you loved us so much, that even though you could have called 10,000 angels and they would have come and rescued you, you would not do it, but you went to the cross, your body broken, to serve us to die for us so that we would live. We remember your sacrifice. We remember your example. And we covenant on this Pentecost Sunday with you and with one another that as you were willing to to suffer to serve, that we will be willing to suffer to serve. That you, were, that you were willing to be broken to serve us. That we will be willing to be broken to serve one another. We make this covenant today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And Paul says, in the same way after supper he took the cup.
saying, this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we drink of the cup this morning and, and remember the new covenant, let's covenant fresh and new to be together with Jesus and also to be together with one another, to enter into covenant relationship with one another to where we are faithful to one another and love one another and serve one another. And it's sealed with covenant in Christ and with covenant with one another. Let's partake of the juice this morning, the cup. Lord Jesus is As we partake of the cup and we remember the new covenant, we enter into covenant with you. We say that you are the vine and that we are the branches. Graft us into you that your life and your blood would flow through our veins. That we would be, that we would be your your spiritual adopted children. And as we, as we are in You, we understand in You the vine that we are also, as we are all united in the same vine as branches, we are also, because we're together with the vine, together with one another in covenant. Together with one another in unity, the, the, the same Holy Spirit is at work in all of our lives. We have one hope, we have one faith, one salvation, one spirit, one purpose. We are one in Christ and we covenant today to be together, to be united, to be one in Christ Jesus and to love one another and to serve one another and encourage one another and build one another up, to bless one another and, and give to one another and help one another, to, to live by the fruits of the Spirit. We covenant this, each and every one of us, so that we will be a united church, a together church, shining the light of Christ. And that the world will see and know and that every day there will be added to our number those who are being saved. This morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, today if you're not saved, if you're not born again, if you haven't received Jesus' forgiveness and salvation, and set Him as Lord in your heart. But today you want to. You want to come to Him and put your trust in, your, in Him and your faith in Him. I just ask you to raise your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, amen. I see your hand. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you're watching online or listening on a podcast and you've not made Jesus Lord of your life, but but today you recognize as the day of salvation and you want to trust Him as Lord and Savior. And we just want to pray, all of us together, just everyone repeating after me, and make Jesus the Lord of our lives. Pray with me, will you? Lord Jesus, I believe that you are Savior and Lord. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me and I receive your salvation. And Lord Jesus, I set you as Lord in my heart. Be my friend, be my Savior, be my Lord. I declare that you are my forever passion. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen.